Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 51. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up and just uh, read those verses. If you don't have your Bibles, open up your phone. If you don't have your phone, you can take a look at the sermon notes. If you can't do any of those, have the person sitting next to you read it to you. But let's go ahead and just read Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 51. Ask anybody who's over 50, and they could tell you all about it. Um, what? Well, I'm just giving, you know, I'm just, I'm not sure that everybody, you know, saw Animal House. And I'm not sure anybody in this room at this point in their life would ever want their kids to watch Animal House. Um, but think about it. It's a choice that people make. There are people that you know, and you could probably all take a, write down a name. You could just take out a piece of paper and write out the names of some people who are living in hell right now. Um, but who refuse to do anything to free themselves from the hell in which they are living. If they would turn from their own destructiveness of the choices of their sinful lifestyle, they would not go through the hell that they are living in today. But they don't turn. They continue doing the same things the same way and just continuing to destroy themselves. It may be a hell on earth, but it's one that they're used to. So they just continue to do it. They don't want to put the forth the effort to change. They don't, know, they don't want to accept responsibility for their behaviors, so they continue to say that it's somebody else's fault. They don't want to overcome the situation they are in. And you see it all the time. People all around us are living in a self-made hell, but they would rather remain in their hell than come to Christ. Because you could talk to them about Christ, you could talk to them about giving up some of their behaviors, you could talk to them about surrendering, and they go, no, no. And to be sure, they want a little relief every now and then, and they may take steps of relief every now and then, but they have no desire to turn their lives over to Christ and to see a total transformation of their lives. Instead, they continue to live doing the things that they are doing. They are dead to their own lives and they could have life in Christ. So in many respects, hell begins here and now, just as heaven does. And we worry so much about going to hell after we die and think nothing of living about living hell here and now. And what is hell? It is separation from God. Plain and simple, it's most importantly, it's separation from God. What is heaven? It is living in the presence of God for the rest of your life. And we today, at present, already are living out the choices we have made. There are people who are continuing to live in hell that may be sitting in this room. And there are others who are living out their choice to be with Christ for eternity are living that out in this room. Some are experiencing the joy of a relationship with God. And others 
are reaping the consequences of a life lived apart from God. Um, and those are the two choices. Those are the choices that we count every day with people we know. Those are the choices that we have in our own life. Am I going to live in a personal hell apart from Christ here on earth? Or am I going to live with Christ? We have either surrendered our lives to him or we have not surrendered our lives to him. We have either surrendered our lives to allow him to transform us or we're still holding on and saying, nope, I'm going to continue to do this. To live with God is to, is to experience the beginning of heaven. To, be, to experience the beginning of heaven's joy, beginning of heaven's peace, the beginning of heaven's love, the be, beginnings of heaven's grace. To live away from God is to experience the prelude of eternal judgment, eternal suffering, and the consequences of our own actions. If a person chooses to live their life away from God here and now, what would make them think they would want to live with God for eternity? See, God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves to hell by the choices they make. Fear of punishment does not deter them here either. Will it there? We see all the things that are going on in our society. The abuses, the crime, the injustices, the prejudices, the bigotry, the, all of those things that take place on a daily basis and nobody fears any consequences. It used to be, years ago, it was pretty easy to get people to come to church. You could put up a sign in the 1950s and say, new church, and people would just show up. You put up a sign today and it doesn't matter. There isn't a felt interest or a felt need in people today to go to church. And 40 years ago, 50 years ago, people went to church 12 times a month. Today, twice a month. And they call that regular attendance. There isn't a felt need to say church is the most important thing. My relationship with Christ is the most important thing. Almost everything else could take a priority. And you go out into the society and you start talking about people, the need for a relationship with Christ. You know, that's no big deal. You talk to them about a need because they're sinners and they go, no, nah, I'm not that bad. You talk to them about hell and they go, really? You've got to be kidding. There's no such thing as hell. And so there's just no sense of people understanding what hell really is. But the Bible speaks of four different types of suffering in hell. When I've talked to people about heaven and hell, and they'll tell me, well, somebody told me there was no hell, or I read a book sometime and it told me there was no hell, and I go, you know what? All that's good. But the most authoritative book on heaven and hell is the scripture. Would you be interested in knowing what the scripture says about heaven and hell? No, thank you. I would just rather live in my ignorance and die in my ignorance. But the Bible speaks of four different types of suffering and hell. First, it talks about suffering emotional pain. There will be deep emotional pain. 
The Bible teaches that unbelievers will be assigned a place in hell. It uses the word Gehenna. And the word Gehenna is often used in Scripture. We've talked about this before. Interchangeably with hell. But the word also was a deep valley outside of Jerusalem where people would just burn trash. That's where all the trash went. And that was a smoldering pit of trash burning 24 hours a day, you know, 365 days a year. That just was going on. And so anybody said that's what hell is like would recognize that they were thrown on a trash heap. And that's what their life would be like for the rest of their life, living in eternity in a trash heap. Um, and then they talked about in hell there will be a gnashing of teeth. And the Bible teaches when people wake up in hell, part of the emotional pain will be expressed in a continual, ongoing, never-ending, eternal gnashing of teeth. It's when people go, I blew it. I blew it. Now, when we talk about I blew it here, we say, well, God gives us a do-over. He forgives us right wherever we are. We can get back on the road with Christ, but there's going to come a time when people are going to say, you know what, there are no more do-overs. There's no more recounts. There's no more, you know, appeals. We made a final decision, and now I have to live for the rest of my life with that final decision. I blew it. I knew better. I knew Jesus was the Son of God. I knew he was my the Savior. He, I knew that he could forgive sins. I had the opportunity, and I rejected it. I had this opportunity given to me over and over and over again, and I rejected it over and over and over again. I was self-willed. I chose to do it my way instead of God's way. And what's awful is that there is no next time. There is no next time. There's no anticipation of doing it different next time around. There's just eternal self-reproach. A gnashing of teeth forever. So it carries this emotional pain, but hell also involves physical pain or agony. In Luke 16 and in other places, it talks about fire and burning and furnace and all those things that are going on. To the point where the rich man queries Lazarus about the possibility of receiving a single drop of water. He doesn't ask for a cup. He doesn't ask for a glass. He doesn't ask for a canteen. He just a single drop of water would be refreshing. Now think about that. Whenever you've been that thirsty, do you ever think that just a single drop of water is going to satisfy? And that's, the, that's that physical pain that's going to take place. Not only is there emotional pain or physical anguish in hell, but it also involves relational pain. Again, I honestly don't know who came up with the idea that hell was going to be this free-for-all party. And that people can just live moral, immorally as long as they want, do whatever they want, and that's going to be this great party and great fellowship together. You know, like I said, the an eternal animal house. No, we see the exact opposite. Solitary suffering is what you see. It's the forever picture that I'm going to suffer and nobody's going to care. I'm going to suffer on my own. Um, probably the only relational thought you may have is that you realize that your loved ones 
are also destined to be where you are and your concern is to be able to say would somebody please tell them what truth is so they don't end up here um, so it's just as the rich man's mind he pleads for someone to warn his loved ones do anything he cries to keep them from this fate and what is the response they wouldn't listen why would they listen now why would they listen now? And that's just an unbelievably sad picture. And do we really understand what Jesus was saying in the parable of the dragnet? That there's going to be people that we know, that we love, that we care about, that are destined to hell unless somebody, unless somebody intervenes. Um... So solitary suffering is interrupted only by terror that someone you love might be headed down the same track as you. Emotional anguish, physical pain, emotional pain, relational pain, and finally spiritual anguish. And this is the worst part of it. And when you picture, or when you read the scripture and see the different pictures of the spiritual separation, it's, I don't know how, I don't know how anybody who saw that would just not say, I got to change. I got to accept Jesus because I don't want to spend eternity like this. Um, because in this age, even though we may not even be able to sense it, God is still restraining evil. He's still holding back the floodgates of evil that are available. Um... But in hell, God doesn't intervene anymore. God doesn't intervene anymore. And his absence unleashes a reign of spiritual terror that words cannot describe. And so the scripture, the, script, right, uh, the scripture writers resort to word pictures. And one of those word pictures is utter darkness. Utter darkness. It refers to absolute absolute chaos and confusion, hopelessness, and the infinite age of futility. Um, there is no morning. There is no light uh, that never goes on. There's never a breakthrough of understanding. Uh, an eternal, infinite age of hopelessness. Of hopelessness. Now, you know how you feel when you go through any experience where you felt a, a hopeless. You may think to yourself, this will never change. And that hopelessness is this, will lead, if it's not dealt with, will lead to a depression. Um, one of the things that I noticed when I was working at Mercy on the psych ward uh, for a period of time was the lack, the absence of humor, the absence of laughter. And the absence of laughter is the sign of an absence of, of hope. There's no reason to laugh when you have no hope. And it's one of the saddest experiences to just see people who have no hope, who just have no sense of joy in their life. And that's what he's talking about. This infinite sense of futility. Another scripture writer calls it the bottomless pit. 
Have you, anybody here ever had a dream like they were falling? And you just kept on falling and you woke up and your, your heart's going like at 150? Anybody have those dreams? Okay. Try to picture. Try to picture this scene where you're on this cliff. You're hanging from the cliff and Jesus is holding your hand. And you're holding on to his. And then you let go. Because you say, I don't need you, Jesus. And then you start falling. And you continue to fall. And you continue to fall. And you continue to fall. And the further you fall, the further away you see Jesus, who was there with his hand stretched out to you, but you rejected it, and you just continue to fall into this bottomless pit, and it never ends. That feeling of falling never, ever ends. Um, picture in your mind. And every moment that you fall further, you realize what you missed. You can never get back up there. You can't climb up the wall. And this just goes on. See, in hell, there's never an annihilation. At that point as you're falling, you would pray that my life would just be annihilated, that suffering and pain would go away. If only I could commit suicide and be done with all of this. But no, there is no such thing. That hell is real. Um, and I know some of you are saying, really, would a loving God do that? What crime is so bad that he would create that hell? It's not him. It's us. And he provided an answer for us. He said, anybody can avoid hell if they hold on to me. If they accept me. They receive my grace. They receive my forgiveness. They receive my love. They turn to me for forgiveness and they can start on their life. Um, but the ultimate crime that, is, is, that we commit is the rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate crime. Reject Jesus, ignore him, walk away from his saving grace and his love, and you will seal your own fate. Um, that's what the writer said in Hebrews 10.29. How do you ever expect to survive? How do you ever expect to survive if you have trampled underfoot the Son of God? If you have trampled on Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ, how would you ever expect to survive? See, here's the picture. We're all going down this road. We're all going down the same road. And we often fail, we violate the standard of God, we, we fall, we stumble, we trip, we make all kinds of mistakes. God gives us all these guidelines and says, you know, don't do those things. Those things aren't beneficial for you. Don't steal, don't lie, don't do all of that. And yet we continue to do them. Um, and we're getting closer and closer to that judgment day. And in the midst of us continuing to do that, God says... You know, I know that you're going to stumble. I know you're going to make mistakes on that road. But I have come so that you can have life. I've come to forgive you. There is hope. It's found in my cross. It's found in the cross of my son 
who came and died for the forgiveness of your sins, acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, repent of your sins, and receive the gift of eternal life. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. And there are some that will respond. There are some, yes, I don't want to spend my life in eternity in hell. I want to spend it with my Savior. I want to spend it in heaven. And so they will, they will change. But the mass of humanity, the overall mass of humanity, cruises along and says, you know, I know. I know I should. But not today. I don't want to live with Christ today. I don't want him to interfere with my self-will. I don't want to interfere with the things I want to do. And so instead of going to the cross, they take a big step around the cross. And as they take that big step around the cross, they put themselves right on the edge of the cliff. Um, so God doesn't cast people into hell. People walk around the cross and keep doing their own things. So again, when people end up in, in, you know, in hell, they shouldn't be blaming God. They've had every choice. It's just that most people have no idea how awful it is. Because I think if people really realized how awful it is, and we really believed how awful it is, it would change a lot. But when we don't talk about hell, and all we talk about is God's love, and we don't talk about God's justice, and we don't talk about the fact if you don't want to live with God, you don't have to, but recognize that means for eternity. And this is what it's going to look like in eternity without living with God. When we don't understand that, the way the scripture portrays it, why would a person be afraid of hell? They don't take it seriously. And already 58%, just a 20% drop over 20 years or 10 years, and think of how what that's going to be for the next generation. To the point where there'll be a whole culture that says, what an antiquated fairy tale that there's a heaven and there's a hell. It's all whatever you do to make it here on earth. Whether you make your own heaven or own hell on earth, there is no eternity. The decisions that you make in this life will bear fruit in the next. If you live separate from God in this life, you will have suffered from God in eternity. Now, that's for us. But Jesus taught these scriptures to the disciples. And he knew where the disciples stood. So there's really two other great lessons, or maybe three, that are found here. The first one is the church's mission. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he has told them before, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So when he picks up this picture of fishing on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples know he's talking about them. These are the fishermen. They're bringing it, that, and they have a responsibility. And their life and their work was fishing. And now they're told to be fishers of men. We as the church have the same mission. We are to be fishers of men. We are to be fishers of people. We are to be constantly presenting the gospel to people who don't know it. If we're not doing that, I don't think we have a full understanding of hell. I don't think we have a full understanding of love. 
and we don't have a full understanding of heaven. And I got to tell you, there are times when I don't have that full understanding. But when I wrap my hands around what that really looks like, I can't comprehend wanting anybody I love to go to hell or to spend eternity in hell. Um, so that means a couple things. First of all, it means that just as fishing was the ordinary business of their daily lives, so evangelism is the business of the kingdom of heaven. Our great occupation as a church is to be on a mission. And mission is across the street and around the world. So yesterday, mission was a fall festival. And also today, mission is in Thailand. It's in Africa. It's in South America. It's in Alabama. It's in wherever people are. So it's not just here, but it is everywhere. The other thing is the dragnet can't be selective. See, their fishing was a lot different than ours. We, somebody will say, you know, you go fishing. Some will say, what are you fishing for? Walleye, bass, musky. For them, if you said, what are you fishing for? What are you talking about? We drag the net in, and whatever is there is what we catch. That's the same as the church. We can't be selective in who we try to reach. We need to say, it doesn't matter who we're, if God brings a person into our midst, our responsibility is to be on mission, to love them, to care for them, to do whatever we can to see their lives surrendered to Christ and to grow in that relationship. We, I've, you know, a target audience, people say, who's your target audience? I go, whoever shows up. You know, one, you know, at one time we had about 20% Hispanic, you know, then my family left. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, and then, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just who shows up? That's our target. Whatever God brings us, we are to, to love. And then when we go out, whoever God brings to us, that's who we share with. It can't be selective. Just by design, it catches all fish. And then also notice that it's not just about our mission, but also about the church's nature. The dragnet, the dragnet scoops up all kinds of people. Rich, poor, old, married, single, black, white, educated, uneducated, hurting, happy, sick, healthy, uh, you name it. It brings every type of person there. And our job is to take a look at every single person and say, we love you. We love you. And we're here to provide whatever we can to help you to grow. Um, and recognize that the church is and will always be a mixed assembly of re regenerate and unregenerate people. Born, ag born again and then hypocrites. You'll have every possible group imaginable in the culture, in our church, in all the church. Um, and they will be at every stage of growth or immaturity or maturity. And that will happen until the end. And it is at the end that the angels of heaven will decide who's going to be in which pile.
our cho our decision, our responsibility is to love people here and do whatever we can to make sure that they don't have an eternity in hell. And I know that, you know, preaching about hell, um, people are walking away saying, you know, that, that wasn't the happiest sermon. <laughs> you know, because it produces guilt for me. In my own life, it produces guilt. I, I have friends who I know by their choices and by their behaviors. And I say by I know. Obviously, I don't know. But by the way they behave, the way the statements they've made, choices they've made, they're destined for an eternity in hell. And I may be the only one that had the opportunity to present Christ to them, and I didn't. So I, so I walk away from a message like this feeling my own personal sense of guilt. Um, and then in my dark moments, I think, am I in that bottomless pit? You know, I mean, and so there's always that sense. And I know that the one side is a, is a, a depressing truth, but the other side is a place to rejoice because God says, Wherever you are today, you don't have to be there tomorrow. Whatever mistake you've made today, you can change today. Wherever we've been, God can redeem. That God can take wherever, whatever we've done and redeem it. And so it's not where we've been in the past. It's what's my mission for the future. And when I believe this, when I truly understand, as Jesus said to the, to the disciples, do you understand? And they go, we do. I think they did. I'm not sure the church in the United States does. And it's our responsibility to understand and to be the kind of people that pray for and look for opportunities to provide an answer to people who are on this road of rejection of Christ for eternity and to help them find hope in Christ for eternity. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together to worship, to, to read your word um, that you have provided for us and to wrestle with what it means for us. And Lord, we thank you for the love that you have shown us. And we thank you that there were people in our lives who came along at one time or another and said, you know, there's a different way. You don't have to continue to live in a personal hell. Now and for eternity. And for us that have received that truth, we've surrendered our lives to you and we praise you and we thank you for that. But help us never to take that for granted. And help us to recognize the truth of both heaven, of hell, and of your salvation. And that we can be used by you to witness to that to others. And even when we don't know how to witness, Lord, it's real easy to pray. So teach us to pray for the people that we know who don't know you. Again, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.